Hi, everyone. It's Terry Welbrock here. Before we start today's episode, I have some amazingly awesome, fabulous, happy dance news to share. Uh, certainly been so excited about this. If you follow the Facebook page or connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, I'm sure you've already seen or this information. Uh, but I have released uh, and my narration of an audiobook on Audible through Amazon. It's the Energy Medicine Solution. And the book was written by 25 different authors. Uh, Jacqueline M. Kane is listed as lead author. And I was brought in as the narrator for the audiobook. I'm also in production of a second audiobook and I have been hired for two more. So I'm pretty darn excited to be now doing, and my focus is on books on healing. So now doing books in the healing arena um, for, for narration, which is really pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, so go to... Um, my Facebook page. I'm going to be adding it to my website. I don't know if I'll get that done um, this weekend or not, but in the next couple of weeks, days, weeks, uh, I should have that done. You can go visit my website, terrywellbrock.com and go to the books page and I'll have links to the audio books there. Um, but yes, if you go to Amazon or Audible, if you have Audible and use a credit and download uh, the Energy Medicine Solution look up me on Amazon, Terry Welbrock, or uh, Jacqueline M. Kane, K-A-N-E. All right, now for the show. Welcome everybody to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and very excited to have with me today, Betsy Hill, and she is neuroeducator, which we're going to talk about, author and mom of three. So welcome, Betsy. Oh, so glad to be here, Terry. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. So talk to us. Well, I, I just said when we were doing like how doing the introduction, neuroeducator, and you said you coined that term. So can you talk to us about that? Sure, absolutely. So um, you know, I'm a trained educator. I taught high school for a few years and then I defected as many teachers did, but I've I have taught at multiple levels. I teach adults, I teach all kinds of things. Um, but what I didn't know when I started to teach was how the brain learns. And I've since learned a lot about that. And it really makes a huge difference in the learning and teaching process. And I always say learning and teaching rather than teaching and learning, because learning is what's most important. If there isn't learning going on, it doesn't matter how much teaching is going on. And so what we, when we understand more about the science of learning, we understand how brains take in information, what they do with it, what makes it stick, what makes it uh, interesting and engaging and memorable and all those kinds of things, then we have a real shot as teachers about really enhancing the learning process. So that's what a neuroeducator is in my mind, that it's an educator who has been trained in neuroscience and is able to explain and apply it to how kids learn. Beautiful. I love it. I know I remember having conversations with teachers when I was working in the school systems um, through, through a mental health agency. And one of the things that the teachers would bring up was um, 
you know, they would have a kid that was maybe having some behavioral concerns in the classroom. And so they, they would address a lot of their attention to that. But one of the things I talked to them about was, what about that child that's sitting so quiet and never makes a peep and is the, you know, the perfect angelic little child, but that kiddo has horrific trauma happening at home. Are they really absorbing the information? Uh, because that was me as a child. And so, you know, I understood that, you know, my role in my household, even though it was, you know, there was trauma happening, was I was the good girl, like I get the good grades, and I tried the best to be the peacekeeper and make everything good. And so that was kind of an awakening moment for for educators that um, all these little kiddos are, are absorbing differently, right? Oh, entirely. We all learn differently. Every single child learns a little bit differently. And, you know, we it's hard to adjust to that, but we can, when we, when we know how they learn, we can really do something about it. But I, your story about that poor, you know, you sitting in that classroom, you're just sort of trying to keep it all together. And it can come from trauma that's happening at home. It can also, all of that can be triggered by learning issues too. So when kids have are struggling with learning, when they're not getting it, so sometimes the trauma gets in the way of it being absorbed, but sometimes it's the being absorbed that's the problem and the trigger for that anxiety and things like that. And when kids struggle with learning, then they tend to do one of two things. They either act out, so that's the behavioral problem that the teacher was aware of because it was so overt, it's just in your face, or it can manifest itself the way that you described it, which is, um, you know, I'm just going to I'm going to sit here and be really quiet and hope that nobody calls on me or I just shut down. I just can't. I just, it's too, it's too much. It's overwhelming. I can't do it. Yeah. I still have friends to this day. We all, we all stay connected in a group chat. Uh, and I have um, one of my friends that has talked about still in, in the fifties about the horrors of being called upon by a teacher that a particularly a bully teacher that she felt like was always like honing in on her honing in on her and maybe the teacher was just trying to get her to be more responsive but she's like it was so horrible it was so traumatizing <laughs> and so yeah, yeah i mean so there are times there are times when learning experiences can be threatening you know a bully teacher is can be causes us to react in the same way that a man eating tiger does you know, it's, well, it's a physical threat. It may not be a physical threat, but those psychological threats make our bodies react the same way. We get sweaty, we get anxious, our hearts start to race, all of that kind of stuff. And that actually makes it more difficult to think. Our, our you know, conscious processing and thinking gets tamped down because we get ready to fight or flee. And so it becomes even more difficult. Um, so if you start with a you know, learning that's not making a lot of sense to you, and then you get threatened because the situation is intimidating. You know, it's that's not a recipe for learning, for sure. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So now, do you work with uh, parents, teachers, schools, all of the above? All of the above. We work with we work with um, uh, parents whose have children are struggling with learning, or the ones who are you know, really diligent and, um, you know, but go home and they spend instead of 
30 minutes or an hour on their homework, they spend three hours or five hours, or it just takes them so long. So they get good grades, but it's still just, you know, they sort of like, there's no time for family night and there's no time for table, you know, dinner at the table to have a extended conversation. So, so usually it's um, because a lot of kids who are struggling either um, a lot of kids who have a label ADHD or autism or um, dyslexia or those kinds of things. But, and what we are very careful to tell parents is that um that label is may help you in some respects, but it doesn't tell us how your child learns. And so you can have kids with ADHD or autism or whatever it is who learn very differently. And so we need to dig under that and really understand um, what their learning strengths are. And we also focus on on learning strengths and helping kids understand what their their I call them learning superpowers. And I always tell kids when I'm talking to them, we figure out what's your learning superpower. And it's like the, I tell them it's like the cape in your super uh, hero cape in your closet. It's always there for you. And if you go and you put it on and you use that strength, it's going to help you in any learning situation. And sometimes in education, we focus too much on what kids can't do. If you go to your parent teacher conference, well, you know, you may hear about all the things that that your child isn't doing, as opposed to really understanding how you can help them leverage what they do so well. And um, and then we can also help them build up those weaker areas. So all these processes we're talking about, the way that we learn, um, we refer to these as cognitive skills. And they're the ways that our brains take in information from the outside world and organize it and store it and retrieve it. And uh, those are things like attention and working memory and processing speed and visual processing. And there's a whole bunch of them. But these um, are something that that most teachers, most educators aren't really attuned to. Um, they're not familiar with how our brains learn and the role that these skills play. So uh, when we do understand them, then we can figure out what is weaker that needs to be built up and what kids can use that is their strength. Yeah, I'm so glad you said the word visual because that popped into my head as a question. So is it a matter of utilizing so many different ways to teach because some kids are going to really um, connect with with visual stimuli where other kids may be auditory or other kids may be hands-on where other kids will be reading? I mean, is is that a part of this puzzle? Yeah, so... One of the things that that is when we understand and it's it's we can now do as um, a cognitive assessment that tells us within an hour, basically how kids actually learn best, what what is the their strongest skills. So we can help them with that. In general, however, it's we can always say it's true that um, when we get information in a couple of different ways, so. I call it multi-sensory content or multimodal teaching. The basic idea is that you're bringing information in through a couple of different senses. When we do that, what it means, because our, our brains don't have like a storage vault. We don't go unlock it and pull out the information. Our brains actually remember 
the it's the connections that are all in different parts of our brain. So if we whatever experience, so you know we're looking at each other via the Zoom screen now, and that information is coming in through the back of our head, the back of our brain, in our occipital lobes, which is where visual processing happens and auditory processing is happening primarily on the sides of our brains. And so when we have that experience, what our recollection, if we think tomorrow about this experience, what we're going to do is try to reactivate exactly those places in our brains that took the information in in the first place. So if we give our brains a couple of chances instead of just one to retrieve and to store that information in a way that we can easily retrieve it, it just makes it much easier. Oh, it's fascinating. I love brain science. I'm, I'm a big fan of neuroplasticity, which is rewiring the brain and, you know, learning uh, new ways to respond and creating new habitual patterns. And so, yeah, you start talking the brain and I geek out. So, <laughs> Well, neuroplasticity is really the foundation for, for all of our work. Um, what it means is simply that the brain can change and the brain can change far more in all the neurosciences agreeing on this that far more than anybody ever knew and so we can take these skills you know we think well some kids struggle with attention they do uh they just don't have the mental processes at that level where they're just happening for them so that they can pay attention or to hold information in your mind and i can't explain to you how to do that but we can train your brain to do those things much more efficiently. And so when you can have a child who goes from really struggling with attention to being able to focus, it, it's transformational. And um, and that's just, you know, one example. We don't cure anything. You know, you do, there's no cure for ADHD, but we can strengthen these attention skills. We can strengthen the brain's ability to screen out distractions. We can strengthen the, the brain's ability to shift gears and look at things from different perspectives. And all of that is just essential to learning and everyday behavior, everyday life. Yes. Amen and hallelujah. And it's so very true. I, I talk about it often on the show that you know, the brain is malleable, that we can, we can create these new connections. Again, what, like you, what you just said, you can't cure ADHD. It's just like, you can't make my trauma go away. It's still there. It's still a part of me, but I can reroute how I respond to, to triggers or how I um, live my life with that being a part of me. So yeah, beautiful. And I love it that you're doing right. it uh, in an education level. Yeah, and the you know the trauma that that you do talk about um, quite a lot with great authority is that is that actually has an impact on cognitive development. So there are things, environmental things that we know. Poverty is one, trauma is another, um, that actually have an impact on our development of these cognitive skills, and. It used to be, we used to think, oh, well, you're just stuck with it. You know, that's just too bad. So you had trauma, so you, you know, didn't develop these skills, but that's just wrong. And we can give you those. So we can't take away your trauma, but we can give you tools. And, and you know, whenever I'm hearing about trauma-informed uh, uh, whatever in education, um, it's 
it's not just understanding the trauma and acknowledging it, but it's helping kids build the tools and the skills that they need to be resilient and to, to overcome that. And we can do that. Again, that's what neuroplasticity is. And we can also help them develop these, uh, the, the development, you know, catch up with the development, basically close the gap to what they missed when they were going through this trauma so that they can learn and be successful. Yes. Oh, gosh, so very true. I could sit here and talk to you for hours about this. So yeah, again, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. So thank you for adding to this conversation that uh, is so needed uh, for people to understand that there is hope. I think that's the beauty of all of this, the work you're doing um, and, and so many others in shining this. It, it's a light of hope that because I truly thought forever, like, oh, I'm broken. I, it's just the way it is. I went through this these horrors and I'm just going to have panic attacks the rest of my life or I'm just going to have these issues. And uh, once I came across the brain plasticity studies, um, wow, that shifted everything. So, yeah. and it's very hard, you know, kids, when kids struggle, they just, they just feel, they feel bad, you know, they, and they can't always articulate it and they, and they can't always explain and they can't always even tell you what they don't understand about it. So it's, uh, you know, and parents do notice those things, you know, when, and, and it's most, um, you know, as parents, we like to believe that, um, you know, we've handed our child over to this wonderful education system and with teachers who care, which most of them do very much. They work very hard. But it is still the case that the parent is the most likely to suspect that something's not working right. And um, so when, and, and when the parents uh, need to really, I always tell them, you know, trust that instinct and you got to get after this and get to the bottom of it because cognitive skills don't, I mean, they generally improve as we get older, but, and as we grow up, um, but if there are real stumbling blocks in the, that set of cognitive skills, that's not going to go away. And it's not going it, to, there's no set of accommodations or teaching around that really is going to change that. But if you, if you understand that and then work on it in a very, explicit way, you can make that change. And it is extremely helpful. And that's really why we wrote the book and did do everything we do is because there is such, there is hope. Absolutely. Yes. And I was just going to say, let's make a left turn to your book and you just brought it up. So yeah, let's talk <laughs> about your book. I think I have a picture of it. Hold on. I'm going to dig through my notes because I wanted to hold it up. There we go. So your child yeah, learns. That's it. That's the picture. Here's now the book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's the book. You got it. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, let's talk about uh, talk about your book and um, the truth for parents. What? So is the this is the contents, and I'm sure there's much much more to it than than what we've briefly discussed here. So yeah, give it. Well, we we, we do walk through um, all of this and. and it, any parent who, who reads this book will, will know more than most educators do about how children learn. And we provide in a five, a very simple five-step approach to which starts with taking the wheel, starts with realizing that you care as a parent more for your child 
than anybody else in the world. And you also know them the best. And so it starts with you saying, I need to be responsible because the education system isn't designed to help. Uh, it doesn't have the equipment, doesn't have the resources, um, and uh, and doesn't really know uh, what can be done in a lot of respects. So it's up to the parent. And, and then we explain all of this information about how learning actually happens. And there's a lot that parents can do um, just initially. For example, on our website, we have a free cognitive rating scale that um, it can help point out where there can be some weaknesses and where your child's strengths are. And so people can access this kind of information when they understand that they can do something about it and that um, and and how impactful these cognitive skills account for 50% of academic outcomes. More than any other factor, more than class size or teacher quality or anything else, the, it's the, the learner. And um, we, we need to empower them. We need to give them the tools that they need to be effective learners. Yeah, I love the idea of you said early on about having their little superhero capes and being able to put those <laughs> on because it's, it's so empowering for kids. I mean, and that's the thing. It's about empowering them. Um, because there's so much more in that lesson than just, you know, getting the good grades. Um, that, that's yeah. something they'll take And then what we, what we see, the thing that parents and kids say the most is that I feel more confident or my child is, has more confidence. They believe, they, in fact, they know they can learn. Um, and they, once they have the experience of being able to learn and knowing that their brains are changing and growing, you know, the sky is the limit. Man, I want to get this book then into the hands of of all the colleges and universities teaching teachers who are about to come into the workforce so that they can be armed with this knowledge. Yeah, it's really important. Most There are some now that are teaching the neuroscience of learning, um, but it's still not the most common. Most teachers still get through their whole teacher preparation program without ever hearing the word brain. And it's the brain that learns. And so it's changing. It's going to take a while. And that's why it's so important for parents to understand this too. But we have a lot of teachers and we do work with some schools as well. And they see some dramatic things um, with academics, but also with um, on the sports field. Um, <laughs> one one uh, principal who will tell the story of, uh, and actually his football coach, it was a middle school, um, where this student, uh, this young man, really developed his spatial awareness, his uh, spatial perception. And then as quarterback now, he can see the field. He knows where there's a receiver open. And um, so, you know, I'm not an expert in football for sure, but, but I just, you know, that gave this child confidence. And then he started getting his homework in on time. And then he started, you know, being a leader in the school and all of this just blossoms, you know. So when you can reinforce and create that, basically the infrastructure for learning that foundation, it just opens up so many doors. I love that. You saw my face beaming like I just I, it just gives me <laughs> so much hope for these kiddos because they're just these amazing little humans that um, they're, they're wanting to blossom. Like they're, they're, they're ready. And so many times they, they just, I don't know, they're, they're stuck. Either they get 
planted in a field that's, you know, full of rocks and, but, but they find a way so many times. And so, yeah. Yes. And but to give them these tools, Oh, what a gift. Yeah. Beautiful. So that's, that's what that book is about. And awesome. we really wanted to share, you know, our experiences and our, many of our clients experiences. There are lots of stories in the book. Um, and, um, you know, just about everybody, I think will find, Oh, that child sounds a lot like, like mine. In fact, my uh, my daughter-in-law recently told me that we were talking about my granddaughter, and she said, "I know who Charlotte's like in the book." And I I, I asked her, and it's it's one who's one of the children who's right at the end of the book, and I knew that she was what she's going to say. Um, but it's really, you know, most parents have not had this experience, and they don't know what's possible. They're used to struggling with homework. They're used to sitting next to their kids, making sure that they get everything done. They're used to having to take the missed assignment it, into school for them. They're used to trying to, you know, cope and just stay up and keep the kids getting their next assignment done. And that's exhausting. And it's, um, and it creates a lot of stress for not just for kids, but for the whole family. And when we can, um, really changed that dynamic and give them. And, and uh, what we hear is that kids are more independent. They can get their work done. They just come home from school. They just do it because they can. And it's done. And it's, you know, most most kids want to do the right thing. But kids don't get up in the morning and say, how can I make everybody's life miserable? That's right. not what they do. Yeah. Right. So when they, when they have the tools and they know they can do it, it's a very big difference. Yes, for sure. Well, again, I, I could sit and talk to you for hours on end, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk about anything that we haven't touched upon yet. Oh, my gosh, I think we've covered a lot of, of ground. I just hope that people are taking away, number one, how important these cognitive skills are and uh, that they have the impact, not just academics, but also everything in life. And um our ability to cope with uh, difficulties and to overcome and to think in different ways and um, has a big impact on our social and emotional competence. You know, when we talk about, I'm going to add one thing, which is the term executive functions, because people are hearing a lot about that because it, it, these these are mental processes that are very important in both, both learning and in behavior. And so there are three core executive functions. One is um, working memory, which I talked about before. It's when we hold information in our mind while we think about it. Another one is inhibitory control, which is what a lot of people associate with executive functions. It's like self-regulation, being able to stop yourself from doing something you otherwise would do. And then the third is cognitive flexibility. It's how we shift our minds. when, when If our first approach to a problem doesn't work or if... Um, we need to see something from somebody else's perspective. And these executive functions are part of it, essential for learning to do everything, even reading and basic math and counting to um, how we get along with others and how we manage ourselves and how we manage our relationships. And so uh, just wanted to sort of underscore that because I think people don't appreciate, we tend to separate behavior and academics and they're two sides of the same coin and they all rely on these same cognitive processes oh, so I, I understand, that. 
yeah, understanding that and, and, and knowing that we can change them and build them and that there is hope and all of this can be dramatically impacted when we decide to do it. Yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you again. All right. So how do people connect with you? How do they find the book? So the book is available online on the online booksellers pretty much everywhere and um, available in hardcover and paperback and Kindle and a bunch of different things. Um, also, our website is a great resource. It's mybrainware.com. So my brain, like brain, where, like software or hardware, com and um, lots of uh, lots of resources, information on cognitive skills, webinars, white papers, just ton of information. Plus that cognitive writing skill that I mentioned. Awesome, and and so not just for parents, but but can educators find information to Absolutely. help them as well? Absolutely, we do a lot of professional development for educators, and we work with schools increasingly. We're trying to do something, you know, schools have tried a lot of things and, and when they realize that it's the, most of what they do is curriculum, instruction, technology, all those outside factors. And when they realize they can help the learner be more effective. So the key part of that learning process is the learner, of course, and we can actually help them. And it's, something that schools are now starting to realize and take advantage of because that has more power, more leverage for them than really almost anything else they can do. And uh, they, they can't ask teachers to work any harder. This right. doesn't happen. A lot of teachers are leaving because they're just so burnt out. But yeah. what we can do, we can make teaching easier because we can make a learner a more effective learner. Oh, I love it. And I will say as someone who's worked in in that uh, arena and how many teachers reached out to me just begging for resources like what can I do to help these kids because they love their kids they they that's why they got into teaching um, they want to see these kids learn and blossom and grow um, so yeah what a what a huge gift so thank you for your work well my pleasure thank you for having me today all right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember, until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well, terrywellbrock.com. You can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows. Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.